Today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 17 to 36. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in details what God had done allowing the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brothers, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the Lord. They have been, been informed that you teach that we teach all the Jews to live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them to not to circumcise the children or live according to our custom. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take this man, join him that will be preaching rights and pay the expenses so that they can have their head shape. And everyone will know that there is no truth in this report about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the Lord. As for the Gentiles believers, we have written to them a decision that they should abstain from food sacrifice to the idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immoralities. The next day, Paul took the man and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple and gave notice of the date when the day of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia, Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, Help us! This is the man who teaches everyone, everywhere, against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled his holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the deficient in the city, before and assumed that Paul has brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Season Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gate was shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that were at the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what, has he, what he has done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. Since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be taken to, into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mobs was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed keeps and kept shouting, Get rid of him. This is the way of the Lord.
have a Bible, please do get um, one, or there are passages printed um, at the back of the hall. But let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we thank you for these words and that show us um, Paul's passion for your word and for the good news of Jesus. And Lord, would you make us so passionate? Um, would you make us people who value the good news that you've given us, that we might share it with others no matter the cost? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Changes are hard, isn't it? Uh, in the previous church that I worked, it took a whole full year and lots and lots of discussion to change the chairs. <laughs> and I hear that changing chairs actually is a, like a, a source of great tension in many, many churches, especially if they, when they transition from sort of having a big pews, you know, wooden pews, um, to individual chairs like ours. And I'm told by a staff member that she knows of a church that split over a decision on which, which color to paint the sanctuary. Changes are hard, but as Lois Erdrich, um, the, the American novelist, has, has put it, um, things that do not grow and change are dead things. <laughs> there are only dead, I mean, de only the dead things do not change and grow. As we grow, uh, things will change. Uh, as we're alive, things will change. As long as this church is alive, the church will continue to change. The first century, century church was rapidly changing. It was going from a predominantly Jewish religion, a Jewish movement that started from Jerusalem. But now it's becoming more and more Gentile focused. It's no accident that the, uh, the, the book of Acts starts out in Jerusalem, the epicenter of Judaism, but then it ends in Rome. The church is changing. Well, how do the Christians then deal with this change? Well, some of them it's difficult. It's difficult to see these changes, and we see the tension, real tension, in these pages that we just read. But what we also see is people, or the gospel, affirming both the Jews and the Gentiles and their culture, so, uh, but also people bending over backwards on non-essential matters to, uh, to retain that unity and to not stand in the way of the gospel. What we see is gospel at work in these pages. So let's take a look. At first, as we come to this text, we see Paul's return to Jerusalem as sort of triumphant. It's joyful. It's a success. When he arrives, verse 17, he reports uh, his mission to the elders of Jerusalem, James included. Paul reported um, to the elders what had happened to these brothers and sisters, and look at their response, verse 20. When they heard this, they praised God. They praised God. But the mood quickly changes. Something worried, uh, some, something worried the Christians in Jerusalem. It wasn't what Paul was saying to the, Jew, uh, to the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem knew that the Gentiles are now part of God's people, that this was part of God's plan uh, to save all people from all nations, and the Gentiles were welcome to come and be part of this movement, Jesus' movement. They rejoiced in their conversion. But what they worried about was what Paul was saying to the Jewish Christians. They worried that Paul was erasing their Jewishness. 
Uh, they put it this way, verse 21, you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from, the Mo- Moses, from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to their custom. You see, Paul was saying that the salvation is not found in observing Mosaic law, uh, that the, the circumcision itself is not enough, that they actually do not have to observe Jewish customs in order to be saved. And that sounds like attack on Jewishness, doesn't it? Because what makes a person a Jew? Of course, it's the DNA, but actually other people, Gentiles, could join in God's community. But what makes a person a Jew? Well, it's all the customs. It's the Mosaic law. It's observing the Sabbath. It's observing the other feast, the Feast of Tabernacle and other uh, feasts. It's, it's observing the Jewish customs that makes a person Jewish, doesn't it? Well, what Paul was doing to many Christians, to thousands of Christians in Jerusalem, felt like an attack on their Jewishness, that the Jews, in order to be Christians, um, don't, uh, cannot continue to be Jewish. So let me make this clear, though. Uh, the Jerusalem Christians and James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and Paul were in agreement on what saved them. Back in Acts chapter 15, this was an issue. And when they come together, they agree that people are saved by faith in Jesus alone. That uh, the the Gentiles do not have to observe the Mosaic laws. But they also said moral laws were binding, that they should oppose idolatry and other things. But the most of the Jewish customs are no longer binding or are not binding to the Gentiles. It's telling uh, what Apostle James uh, called these things. Uh, it's telling what Apostle James calls these things at the end of verse 21. Our customs. Uh, yeah, just keep. Uh, sorry. Uh, I'll change it when I. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Their customs. You see, this, what's at issue is not what a matter of salvation. It's whether what, what the state of Jewish customs, who should observe them and why. And let me summarize it this way then in Acts 15. Acts 15, the apostles made it clear. Next slide, please. Apostles made it clear that the Gentiles do not have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. They do not have to take on culture of Jewishness in order to be Christian. They can still be themselves, Romans, Greeks, or whatever. But here in chapter 21, what Paul and others are concerned, apostles in Jerusalem want to affirm is that the Jews do not have to give up their Jewishness, that they could remain Jewish, that they could observe Jewish laws and their customs and still be Christian. It's kind of, I think, when I became an, uh, an American. I didn't stop being Korean. I became an American who ate kimchi. Sorry, let me, I'll just change it. Yeah, let me. Um, uh, I became an American who ate kimchi, who celebrated Lunar New Year in America and ate rice for breakfast. Many Americans describe themselves in this hyphenated identity, right? Korean-American or Chinese-American or Nigerian-American or whatever. I think that's kind of what it means to be a Christian too. When we become Christian, 
We do not lose our ethnicity. We do not lose our culture. We do not lose uh, these, these things. Of course, we should walk away from the idolatrous part and the sinful parts of our culture. The gospel will confront every culture as well. But cultural customs that are not sinful should be, still be celebrated, and we could still adopt them. They do not need to be erased. And this is how it's wonderful demonstrated by Hudson Taylor, who, uh, whose mantra was, let us in all things that are not sinful become Chinese. Well, the gospel wasn't a Western religion. It could go into China and take on Chinese characteristics. And that was fine. It was encouraged. So Hudson Taylor took on the language and the, the, the dress and the food. We see actually in Hong Kong, if you go to Dovung San, the wonderful architecture there, there that has incorporated uh, Chinese symbolisms uh, like a lotus uh, flower as part of their art and expression of Christianity. And what we see at the end of the Bible in Revelation is this. We get this wonderful description in Revelation 21, 24. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. You see, cultures are not erased at the end of history. The different kings, the leaders of different nations bring their treasures. I imagine the French might bring their you know, cuisine or the Germans their cars. I think in Hong Kong maybe we'll bring our MTR or I don't know, the, the efficiency um, that we have here, whatever it is. Right? We can bring our own distinctive contributions. It's not erased. It shouldn't be erased. But at the same time, the order is important. When someone becomes an American, they become Korean-American. You see what happens. American still is the noun. It's the main description of who they are. They are an American, but they're a Korean variety or Chinese variety or whatever. And that's the same with Christianity as well. When you become a Christian, you, are, you become a Christian. That should be your main noun or main identity and with many other, other adjectives attached to it. So in the matters of first importance, we have to agree on what being Christian is. We have to agree on the important things. So every week we recite the creed, a form of a creed. Well, that's why we preach from the scripture, because we believe that the Bible is God's word for all of us. Um, and a and, and basis of our common life. We often talk of the importance of doctrine of salvation by grace alone and, and the Bible alone and, and Christ alone, grace alone. These things are important. We need to abide by them. We need to abide by the moral teachings of the Bible. There are things that make us Christian and we ought to agree. But we shouldn't also then confuse our culture with our Christianity. What is good about each culture might not necessarily be uh, what God has intended for all Christians to take on. Distinguishing what is cultural and what is biblical, that is what is essential and what is secondary, that is hard. And we need to know our Bible fairly well. We need to speak into each other's lives in order so, so that we can tease out those distinctions. But it is important that actually well, the gifts that God has given us, the identities that God has given us, whether you're Korean, Chinese, or whatever, or your jobs, whether you're an accountant or uh, a, a teacher or whatever, that we translate our Christian faith into those areas. 
and become Christians in those areas that glorify God in many, many different ways and in different cultures. But what happens when cultures clash? And that's what we see here in church in Jerusalem. The customs of Gentile Christians were coming in conflict with the customs of Jewish Christians. They lived different ways, even though that they were both Christians. So what should Paul do as he's been preaching this message to the Gentiles, but he's been coming in, he has come to Jerusalem amongst Jewish Christians? Well, Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, instructs Paul in this way. He says, Paul, you're Jewish, so out display your Jewishness. This is a Jewish context, and so become a Jew is what, what he is saying. And it just happened that there were four Jewish Christians who made a vow, verse 23. And this vow is most likely Nazarite vow. It's a Nazarite vow is a time period. It's like a, a bit like f- uh, fasting. You don't eat, uh, you don't cut your hair, you refrain from sexual activities um, and, and, and other things in order to devote yourself into prayer, uh, to prayer and purify yourself. And so James tells Paul and his friends to partake in this ritual. And not only that, uh, at the end of it, to pay for their sacrifices and other, uh, cover their costs. Then, verse 24, everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about that, uh, but that you, you yourself are living in obedience uh, to the law. What would you have done if you were in Paul's position? Of course, Paul doesn't have to do this, right? Paul doesn't have to do this. Why should Paul display his Jewishness? In letter to Philippians, he says he's a Jew of Jews. He's, 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 a, he's a member of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee. And for righteousness, according to the law, he says he's faultless, Philippians chapter 3, 5. What does he have to prove himself for? Not only that, Paul has been preaching to the Gentiles that actually outward obedience to the law was not necessary. The circumcision was not necessary. These Nazarite vows, uh, that's not necessary. These things are not necessary for our salvation. Christians have been freed from the, the laws, uh, for, from these things because of Jesus. What would you have done if you were Paul? Or what? Let, let's look at what he does. Next, verse 26. Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. He went to the temple and made offering for each of them. He quietly complies, even if it would cost him a great deal of energy and time and money. Why? Why does he do this? Well, because he doesn't want these non-essential things to the to get in the way of the gospel. He doesn't want these observing cultural customs to get in the way of the important, that the gospel is both for the Gentiles and the Jews, and he, want to make, he wants to make sure that it is for the Jews as well, that he doesn't have any problems with these things in that way. Actually, he does it also because this is the way that he's been living. He said... He put it in this way in his letter to Corinthians. 
Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some." In these past two weeks, we saw how Paul counts his suffering, his life, as secondary to the works of the gospel. You know, he puts his culture secondary to the works of the gospel. These customs that are very important to Jewish people and these things that are not important to the Gentiles, you know, he says all these things are secondary and whatever serves the gospel, I will do. Whatever is better for the gospel, I will do. I wonder, uh, although uh, this is how a theologian F.F. Bruce put it, a truly emancipated spirit such as Paul is not in bondage to its own emancipation. He's been freed from the law, but because he has been freed from the law, it's not beneath him to put himself back under the law if it serves the gospel. I wonder if we're we're willing to do the same. In my early days um, in Shatin Church, I remember um, one lady coming up to me who was slightly offended by the, some of the people in the music team. They were wearing shorts. Well, in their culture, uh, people went to church on their Sunday best, and, and the shorts, wearing shorts was not an option. I don't mind. I don't mind what people wear so much, but I did not want to distract ourselves from more important works of the church and make an issue of a non-issue. So I did ask the music team not to wear shorts when they lead. And there are other more significant things in the church too. We, have, we all have our different cultures and preferences, don't we? Some of us want us to be more Anglicans, and some of, them, some of us not so much. Some of us want us to be more charismatic, and some of us not so much. And some of us um, uh, uh, want more praise music, or some of us want more hymns. Um, Sprinkle baptism or full immersion baptism, what are we to do when these different things come into cl- uh, in, in clash in the church? Well, I hope we do what Paul did. We listen, we understand where they're coming from, and on the things that are secondary importance, we say we bend over backwards if it serves the gospel if we can be united and focus on the things of first importance, we just bend over backwards because we say this does not matter as important because this is the thing that is more important. Building his kingdom is more important. The result of Paul becoming all things to all people was an explosion of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Explosive growth of the church. And with that mindset, I hope we will continue to grow as church as well. The gospel will continue to grow in our church. But accommodating on the non-essentials, Bending over backwards to make peace within the church and outside doesn't mean that it'll all be smooth sailing for the Christian. Look what happened to Paul. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were appeased by Paul. They saw that Paul was making that effort, uh, that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't saying to people that you no longer have to be Jewish, that he valued the Jewish culture. 
but the outsiders didn't get that nuance. Look what happens in verse 27. Some Jews from Asia arrive in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, probably from Ephesus, and they came to the temple and saw Paul and others. And then they stirred up the crowd and they started attacking Paul and his friends. And the accusation is that, that, he, that Paul has been uh, taking people away from Jewish laws and saying that the temple is useless. Mind you, this was when Paul was in the temple, fulfilling the Nazarite vow, all the things that people don't have to. He was taking that on himself. This is when they were attacking him. So they drag him and they beat him. And the intention is clear, verse 31. They want to kill him. Church, our job is to bring this peace of Jesus to the world. And we become all things to all people so that some might be one for Christ. We will bend over backwards there. And we will come together in the church on the non-essential things. We will be at peace with one another. Things that, that, that the real differences, uh, we will say, actually, uh, for the sake of the gospel, I'll put that aside. But that doesn't mean that there won't be misunderstanding. And that doesn't mean there won't be mis willful misunderstanding. That doesn't mean that there won't be any persecution from outsiders. There will be persecution, even if we do everything right with the perfect intentions and in the perfect way, because they did it to Jesus. They did it to Paul. And don't be surprised if it happens to us. But I hope that doesn't discourage you. Keep preaching the gospel and make it applicable to your life, your home, your job, and your respective cultures. Show Jesus whatever, in, in whatever context that you are in. Show Jesus and bend over backwards to accommodate and make peace for the sake of the gospel. But don't be discouraged when those things aren't enough. And when you are persecuted for faith, because blessed are you, Jesus said, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you that it is a message of salvation for all those who believe. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be Christians who uh, make Jesus alive in our own cultures, um, in our own workplaces, in whatever context that we are in, that we will be uh, amongst um, uh, our colleagues and in the world, um, but uh, not of the world. Uh, in the world, but still showing the goodness of Jesus. And Lord, help us to be the kind of church that knows what's important and what's not important, what's essential and what's not essential. Help us to make every effort to, um, to accommodate for one another, to love one another, and to serve the gospel. And Lord, even when everything we do is right, but still things go wrong, Lord, help us to rejoice that we're following in your footsteps. Lord, we pray that you, by your spirit, you would empower us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.